0: pray for us as we uh, open God's word. Father God in heaven, you are good. Uh, You are great. You are gracious, patient, kind, and loving. You are holy. And uh, God, I thank you for a time to gather and celebrate uh, the gospel call, the good news of the person and work of your son, Jesus, on our behalf. Uh, God, I pray now that as we open your word that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and to our minds through your word. And God, that you would stir us up to conviction to repent of sin and idols and turn to you. And God, that you would awaken our hearts to beat with new life and our minds to understand and our lives to live out the implications of this good news uh, because of your goodness. And I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is God's word. Think of a time that you've utterly regretted something. I mean, think of a time that you have done something that you absolutely regret. It could be something small, like uh, maybe you ate too much Mexican food last night, and you regretted doing that because your stomach hurt. Or maybe you regretted uh, something you bought. Maybe you splurged and bought something, and the next day thought, why did I buy that? You know. It could be something small uh, like that, or... Uh, Maybe it can be something a little more significant, like maybe you regret uh, missing an important event uh, because of whatever reason. Maybe you regret uh, getting angry at work and quitting your job so quickly. Or maybe you regret uh, a relationship that uh, maybe was inappropriate and you shouldn't have had. See, we often uh, regret a lot of things. We're broken humans. We do things wrong, and we often regret things, and we have remorse, and then sometimes we'll try to make up for what we did wrong. And regret is uh, part of our human condition. It's based on guilt and shame. We feel guilty about doing something, and we vow never to do it again. I regret doing that. I'm not going to do that anymore, and then we do it again, and then we feel guilty. Or then uh, we renounce ever having uh, this attitude again, and we'll... It'll happen again, and then we are ashamed of ourselves. It's a never-ending, unbreakable cycle. But the gospel calls us to repentance. And repentance is different than regret. Because whereas regret is based on guilt and shame, repentance is based on grace. Repentance is the mark of a Christian Who is responding to the proclaimed gospel of God, the good news of the person and work of Jesus, who says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, repentance is different than regret. Repentance is a response to the good news. One definition of repent means to change one's mind. In the Old Testament, this called for a change of a person's attitude toward God. It impacted your actions and life choices. It involves an idea of turning away from something and turning toward God. This changes the way you think. This changes the way you feel. It changes what prompts your motivations day to day. Big decisions and small ones. The relationships you'll have and even what kind of food you'll eat. Here in the Gospel of Mark, we see that Jesus proclaims the Gospel of God and couples repentance and belief. He says, repent and believe in the Gospel. Now, last week we unpacked what belief means. It's it's the word we use for faith, which we broke it down this way. We said that that faith, or, or, or the word for believe here that Jesus uses, is believing the promises of God the Father It's an ongoing relational trust in Jesus Christ, the Son. And it's an action that is prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit. So as we look at repentance today and we ask this question, are you serious about repentance? We have to see that it's coupled with belief, it's coupled with faith in the promises of God, trust in Jesus, empowered and and prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit of God. So what what does the Bible tell us about repentance? I mean, if we want to walk right with the Lord, we want to respond rightly to the proclamation of the good news. Jesus says, repent and believe. What does the Bible tell us about repentance? Because it's different than regret. And I'm not going to heap piles of guilt and shame on you, but rather proclaim the gospel of grace. So that we, by God's grace, by his Holy Spirit, will repent. Personally, relationally, in our marriages, families, and as a church, corporately. Repentance is expressed this way in the Bible. Repentance is turning from sin and rebellion, turning away from idols and functional saviors, and turning to God through Jesus Christ. That's our working definition of repentance. Turning away from sin and rebellion, also turning away from idols and functional saviors, and turning toward God through Christ Jesus. So first, let's look at this. Repentance is turning away from sin and rebellion. The human condition is that by nature, we are heading the wrong direction. Quite simply, due to our brokenness as humans, we are riddled with sin and rebellion. Our heart attitudes rebel against God, our Creator. Uh, we have sin in our lives uh, that manifest in, in little sins, like we have big sin, which is just an attitude of of going the opposite away from God, and, and which manifests into little sins of actions. And this could be uh, attitudes toward God, toward each other. This can be actions of doing things wrong doing the wrong things, right? Sin and rebellion is our inclination. It's distrusting the promises of God. It's distrusting relationally Jesus. It's not responding to the Holy Spirit and belief. We see that the Bible teaches that there are sins of omission and sins of commission, meaning there are sins of omission, meaning we don't do what we're supposed to do. Like when God says, uh, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you don't do that, you are omitting that command. That's a sin. If you, uh, God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So if you admit loving your neighbor, if you omit that, you are doing a sin of omission. Now a sin of commission is a little different. That's when you actively go do something that you shouldn't do. Like you actively go steal something. That's committing a sin. And these stem from attitudes of the heart. It stems from the affections of your heart and your mind. It's our nature to be sinners and to rebel. Ultimately, this takes us further from God toward destruction every step of the way riddled with guilt and shame. If you do something wrong that you're not supposed to do, you commit sin, you feel guilty, shameful. If you don't do something that you're supposed to do you omit something that you feel guilty and shameful and it's an unending cycle I'm trying to think of a good illustration of this and I couldn't help but think of the classic artistic film dumb and dumber have you guys seen this movie I mean, it's been out for years it's a classic I think for our modern era If you know the movie, Jim Carrey plays a guy named Lloyd, Jeff Daniels plays a guy named Harry, and they make this cross-country trip to Colorado, they're going to Aspen, where the beer flows like wine, right? And if you know the movie, they're driving across the country in this big van that looks like a dog, and and, and they're taking turns driving, and and there comes a part uh, where Lloyd is driving through the night so Harry can go to sleep, and then he wakes up the next morning amongst flat land full of cornfields. You know the scene I'm talking about? He says, uh, I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. John Denver, right? They, they, they say, and then it cuts to a scene really quickly where Harry's pouting in the dirt, and Lloyd says, I'm only human, Harry. Anyone can make a mistake, and Harry jumps up and says, you drove almost a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction. Now we don't have enough money to get to Aspen. We don't have enough money to get home. We don't have enough money to eat. We don't have enough money to sleep. It's a perfect example of sin and rebellion. We're going the exact opposite direction from where we should be going, and and we don't have within us what it takes to even get us there. We end up broken down, far from God, unable to get back there. We we end up in the middle of nowhere, pouting (laughs) in a cornfield. To the point that we can't eat, we can't sleep, we have no money to get home. And this is a perfect picture of what sin and rebellion looks like, in so many ways. Because our foolishness drives us away from God, leaves us broken down, helpless, hopeless. So I just want to ask you, as we get serious about repentance, to ask, are you, are you serious about repentance in your life as a, as a Christian? If you're not a Christian, we want you to be serious about repentance as well. So what does sin and rebellion look like in your life? I mean, it could be subtle. Often we think that sin has to be some huge monumental epic destruction, which ultimately it will be. But it can be a subtle sin. It can be an attitude of your heart toward God, toward another believer, toward someone in this room. Your attitude uh, toward... Uh, you know, how you deal with money, how you deal with relationships, how you deal with your neighbors. What does sin and rebellion look like in your life? But here's the issue is like, we know that repentance means turning from sin, from rebellion, and so we find ourselves like stranded, broken down and saying, I don't want sin, I don't want rebellion, so I'm going to try to fix it, right? I mean, that's what happens when you regret something. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot Oh, here's one. I forgot Father's Day. I didn't really, but if you did, (laughs) you're thinking, I forgot to send my dad a card. So what do you do today? You're going to be like, okay, I'm going to go buy a card and call my dad and try to make up for lost time, right? That's what we do. And if you did that, don't feel guilty. Maybe. I don't know your dad, but there you go. Um, That's what we do when we feel guilty about something. We try to make up for it. So we do the same with sin. We say, man, I'm caught in this sin. I'm caught in this attitude of rebellion. I want to make up for it. So I'm going to try to fix it, Right? I do this. We all do this. Often when that happens, we turn from sin and rebellion, but we don't quite turn to God. We often kind of turn halfway, and we turn toward idols or functional saviors. What I mean by that is this. An idol, we often think is like bowing down to a statue, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about? An idol is anything we trust other than God an idol is putting something in the place of God in our lives wherever you put your ultimate hope, affection and trust that is an idol for you that is a functional savior we're counting on that thing to change us see repentance is turning from sin and rebellion but if we turn to an idol or functional savior we're in no better condition idols are things we put our trust in other than God and they could be good things they can be jobs or financial well-being. It could be a relationship. And if you put your ultimate security and identity in your job, and your status, and your finances, and your relationships, if those things take the place of God in your life, you're no better off. Actually, we go from bad to worse, from dumb to dumber. Speaking of dumb and dumber, that scene I was just talking about, you know what happens, right? What happens next? After going the wrong direction, they get mad at each other and they decide to go their separate ways. They're like, you know, this is ridiculous. They start yelling at each other. Uh, You know, a catchy tune comes on and uh, they start walking the other way. And then the next scene you see, (laughs) Jim Carrey, Lloyd rolls up on this little motor scooter. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, Harry. He's like screaming, Harry. Harry. He waves him down. Harry turns around. And Lloyd says, uh, Harry's like, where did you get that scooter? Lloyd says, I traded a kid back in town, our van for the scooter, right? You can get 70 miles to the gallon. There's room for you to hop on the back if you want to go to Aspen. (laughs) And Harry looks at him and says, you know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't be any dumber, you go and do something like this and totally redeem yourself. Now, there's such irony in that moment because we sit here and laugh and we say, did he really redeem himself? I mean, it's ridiculous. He sold a van for a motor scooter and then the movie just gets awesome from there, right? Like, it's ridiculous to think you sell everything you have to get this motor scooter so you could like double up and freeze together as you go through the mountains of Aspen, right? But in the same way, this is what we do to try to cure ourselves from sin and rebellion. Right? We, we sin, we rebel against God, we feel guilty, we feel shameful, and we say, I want to turn from that, so I'm going to fix it. I'm going to redeem myself. Right, So you say, I'm going to make up for lost time by doing this. Maybe then God will approve of me. Maybe then Jesus will accept me. Maybe then I'll be forgiven and I'll feel good about myself and have a better identity and more security with other people. And so we try to make up for lost time by status, by finances, by relationships, by what have you. The whole time we're selling the awesome van for the little scooter trying to redeem ourselves while looking ridiculous. See, repentance means turning from sin and rebellion that's fueled by guilt and shame. But repentance is also turning away from idols and functional saviors, which is fueled by pride and self-sufficiency. We think we can redeem ourselves. Why? Because we're smart. Because we're creative. Because we're hip. Because we live in a certain part of town or because we have certain amount of money in the bank or our career looks like this or you're in this kind of relationship all the while that pride and self-sufficiency does not make us closer to god it just takes us further from him in a different way just like sin and rebellion i'll give you a personal example if i may because this has happened in my life numerous times i'm a broken sinner And years ago, when I first got into vocational ministry, some of you guys know a little of my history. Some of you I knew back in, you know, the college days. And I found my identity and security as a musician, right? And I wanted to be a rock star and, um, you know, enjoyed playing music. Music was a gift from God that I enjoyed using. But in all honesty, I kind of abused that for my own good, right? And my heart was not close to God at all. And I feel guilty about certain things in my past as I was playing in a band and traveling throughout the Southeast and playing at places. And just I found myself sitting on a beach in Panama City, Florida at 3 a.m. looking at the ocean thinking, this is not what I want my life to look like. I was riddled with sin, riddled with guilt, embarrassed, ashamed. And the next day, we returned back home, and I gave it some thought. And I sat down with the guys I was playing in a band with, and just said, "Look, I just can't do this anymore." And um, I'm still friends with those dudes. I love them dearly. They've gone on to see much success. And so I got excited, thinking, "You know what? I'm giving up all of this so that I can be better for the Lord." What I ended up doing, by God's grace, I got to go to seminary, right? Uh, By God's grace, I was able to uh, do some mission work in Romania. By God's grace, I was able to start working for churches and vocational ministry. And by God's grace and sense of humor, here we are today. Now, several years ago, there came a point where when our church at the time was called The Well and we were meeting on the 700 block of Broad Street in a former uh, hair salon, a handful of you guys were there. And there came a point where God convicted me that Jeremy, you were finding your identity and security in your position as a pastor. You're finding your identity and security in the degree you have hanging on the wall. You're finding your identity and security in the network that your church is a part of because you have certain famous people's numbers in your cell phone. And I had to repent because in that moment, I was riding a scooter to Aspen. In all honesty, in that moment, even though I had turned from sin and rebellion, saying, God, I don't want my life to look like that. That's leading me to destruction. I was putting my trust, my hope, my identity, my security, and my position. Kind of embarrassed to tell you, except every single pastor I know struggles with the same thing. The pastors of the biggest churches in the city I've had lunch with, and they struggle with the same thing are part of our human condition so we repent we say lord i'm going to turn from sin and rebellion lord here's an idol here's a functional savior i found my identity and security and hope in i need to turn from that for me it's my status and position and god has a gracious way of humbling us i mean very gracious he will hand you yourself <laughs> like He did to me even last year by God's grace. So, as we talk about being serious about repentance, are you serious about repentance? What sin and rebellion do you need to repent of and turn from? But don't just turn halfway to an idol or functional Savior. Repent from that too. So what idle are you putting your hope and trust in what functional savior are you trusting to give you fulfillment and identity and security? Whatever that thing is, if it is not Jesus, you need to turn from it. It could be a good thing. It could be a gift to you. It could be your job. It could be your position. But if that's where you find your ultimate fulfillment, you need to repent and say, Lord, take a step back. I mean, God may not take it from you. God may say, repent of that. And by my grace, I'm going to keep you in there, right? Right? I and mean, I took a sabbatical because I was like, do I even need to be in ministry? And a pastor said, yeah. Because if you can repent of your sin and idols, you're on the right track. By hmm? okay, God's grace. I'm going to repent right now. I need to repent. I'm repenting. Right? It's constantly. We're going to get to that right now. So repentance is turning from sin and rebellion. Repentance is turning from idols and functional Savior. And here is the key. Repentance is turning toward God in Christ. Because if you turn from something, what you turn to could be worse from what you're turning from, right? I mean, I'm turning from sin and rebellion. Let's go to this idol. Not going to do you any good. Repentance is turning to God through Christ. This is the call of the gospel. This is what Jesus says at the beginning of his ministry according to Mark. I mean, Mark chapter 1 verse 1 says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God the good news, he comes on the scene in verse 14. He's proclaiming the gospel of God saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the call of Jesus. Repentance is turning to God through Jesus Christ. Not turning to God through spirituality. Not turning to God through a masters of divinity. Not turning to God through this tradition or that avenue or whatever. It's turning to God through through jesus christ recognizing that it's jesus who draws us from our sin and rebellion who who destroys our idols and functional saviors and and grabs us and pulls us the direction toward god it's only through jesus christ it's not through anything else we can do or say or believe because the call of the gospel is to repent And believe, this is fueled by grace. One pastor said it this way. uh, Pastor David Fairchild of Morris Hill Church says, Repentance at its heart is not about feeling bad for your action. It is the heartbreaking awareness of whom you've acted against. And so when we repent of our sin and rebellion, it's us saying not just, wow. I mean, for me, it was like, I don't want to live my life like this. I want to repent so I don't have to have this effect upon my life. But also, good grief. I'm like rebelling against my maker. I'm exploiting other humans who he created in his image that need redemption, but I just want their accolades. It's where I was. Thinking, God's connected me to thousands of people. I just want them to like me and my music. And they need the gospel, man. What am I doing? but here's the great news this is what excites me so much is when we look through scripture repentance is turning from sin and rebellion from idols and functional saviors to God through Christ and this is the ongoing theme of scripture you saw the video testimony just a minute ago of David Cathcart who nailed it on the head (laughs) I mean you see in Old Testament law the book of Deuteronomy 30 verse 2 the call is to return to the Lord your God you and your children obey his voice And all that I command you today, with all your heart, with all your soul, the call of the Old Testament law is to return, to turn, to repent, to turn to God. The prophets throughout the scriptures say it. An example is Joel 2.13, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Joel, one of many prophets to just pronounce the good news of God's graciousness toward his people. We get to the Gospels. Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist sets foot on the scene. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus sets foot on the scene in Mark 1:14, where we've looked at today, uh, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. If you read the rest of the Gospel of Mark and all of the Gospels, you see that Jesus not only proclaimed this good news, but he went on to display how he was going to do it for us. I mean, that's what the Gospels are about. It's not just, hey, repent. Great. How do I do that? Jesus I don't get it. Jesus says, here, let me show you. Jesus says, look, I'm going to fulfill all of the Old Testament expectations. Like, you want to believe the promises of God? You have relational trust in me. That's what Jesus says by repenting and believe in the gospel. And so when he calls us to repentance, he's saying, look, the Old Testament law says return to the Lord your God. You and your children obey his voice that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul. Jesus did that. Jesus turned to God on our behalf, living a perfect life in our place. He obeyed everything perfectly, everything that God ever commanded. Jesus did with all his heart, with all his soul on our behalf. On our behalf, he did what what the prophet Joel said, to return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Jesus said, yes, yes, I am. I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast love. I am gracious. I am merciful. Let me show you how I do that. And so the rest of the gospels is Jesus not only Teaching that and proclaiming that, but he does miracles. He heals people. He heals people, saying, I want to show you how gracious and merciful I am. I'm going to heal you from your sickness so that you will repent and believe in me and I can turn you back to God. He feeds thousands of people for many reasons. One, to show that he could do it because he's God, but also to say, look, you can't sustain yourself. There's no self-sufficiency in the gospel. It's a reliance on me. Jesus is like, you can't even feed yourself. There's thousands of you out here saying, we're going to fill our head with knowledge. And Jesus says you can't even feed yourself. Let me do that for you. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love. He says, you can't be self-sufficient in the gospel. I'm going to feed you to show you how much you need me. He lives a perfect life in our place. He dies a death on our cross to take away our sins as a substitute of God's wrath on sin to take it off of us, onto himself. He comes back to life, rising again from the dead. He ascends to be with God the Father in heaven. I love this too, when he sends out, I mean this is, this is the rippling effect of the gospel of repent and believe, repent and believe. That's what the gospel's all about. Jesus, I mean the Old Testament's about that. Jesus said it, did it, displayed it. Even when he sends out his 12 apostles in Mark 6, it says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Like the 12 that were closest to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, you want to know what your mission is? Did he say, just go do something nice? Just go be better? No, no, no. He says, your first mission, the 12 of you, is to go out and proclaim that people should repent. Wow. That was their first mission. So he sends out the 12 to proclaim that people should repent. Luke chapter 24, we see a little bit more. Jesus, this is so cool, opens their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Wow. We see the apostles go out and do this they proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin that jesus secures for us peter, peter does this in acts 2 38 peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sin and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit peter goes on to write first and second peter and we see in second peter three nine some of the last words that the Apostle Peter writes on this earth says, The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some counted slowness, but this is patient but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Apostle Paul as well in Acts twenty, twenty one, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What's the Apostle Paul doing? What Jesus was proclaiming, the call of the gospel to repent and believe. That's the call of the gospel throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. This is why we exist today, to get the word out of saying we need to turn to God through Jesus Christ. We turn from sin and rebellion. But if we say, don't sin, don't rebel, we become moralists and say, don't do that. Be moral. Moralism is an idol. Is it bad to be moral? No, it's very good to be moral. But your moral morals have to be rooted in Jesus Christ. <laughs> so if we say, no sin, no rebellion, you become moral. Without Jesus, that's just an idol. We say, all right, do better, try harder. Well, that puffs us up with pride. Say, well, that becomes an idol and a functional savior for us. But rather, we need to see how destitute we are apart from Jesus. At worst, we're broken down in a cornfield. At best, we're riding a scooter looking like a bunch of morons. We need the gospel. I need the gospel. We need to repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. So, as repentance is turning from sin and rebellion, repentance is turning from idols and functional saviors, repentance is turning to God through Jesus Christ because of who He is and what He's done on our behalf. So, what does that mean for us today? How do we do this? How do we repent? Because repentance is not a one time thing only it is an ongoing rhythm of a christian disciple in fact martin luther in his famous 95 theses at the beginning of the protestant reformation 1517 he says this the whole life of a believer is to be a practice of repentance now, i don't know how that works for you Because for me, I thought repentance meant a one-time thing. Yes, I repent and believe the gospel. I thought it meant, I'm eight years old. I don't want to go to hell. I believe Jesus. That's what I thought repentance was when I was eight, all the way up until I was 22. (laughs) Yeah, I repented. But you know the problem, if we repent once, we put our faith in our repentance instead of our faith in Jesus. We say, hey, look, because I said this and prayed that prayer, I'm good. That becomes an idol. Repentance is the whole life of a believer in practice. It's what we do. It's it's an ongoing rhythm of ongoingly turning from sin and rebellion, ongoingly turning from idols and functional saviors, ongoingly turning toward God through Jesus Christ. It's coupled with belief, trusting the promises of God, trusting Jesus. It's an action we do, prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit. So what does this look like for me and you today? I would say this. First, repentance. We need to repent of our attitudes as well as our actions. If you go get hammered tonight and you wake up with a hangover, yes, you'll feel regret, you'll feel remorse, and you can repent of your action. But we need to repent of our attitude that drew us to that, our anger, our discouragement, our loneliness that's not rooted in the gospel. We need to repent of our attitudes and actions toward God when we don't trust that his good news is good enough. When we say, we know Jesus died for us, but I need to do this just to be sure. Or I know Jesus said, repent and believe, but I don't feel like repenting and believing. Or I know Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, but I just don't even like the guy. How can I love him? I know Jesus said, proclaim the good news. I'm not going to say a word. I'm shy. Right? We need to repent of our attitudes and actions against God. We need to turn and trust God through Jesus Christ. We need to repent of our attitudes and actions toward each other. And this one is more acceptable, I think. And even in Christian circles, man, good grief. We need to repent of our actions and attitudes toward others who may be... uh, choose to school their kids differently than maybe you do i mean I, i've been we have four kids and our oldest daughter is starting kindergarten at a public school in august i mean you would have thought i burned the bible in some circles seriously breaks my heart i'm like really yeah you're going to publicly school your kid sure why not i mean i read the bible i see nothing in there about public versus private Versus home. Likewise, just for the record, my four siblings were homeschooled, and they're awesome, and I love them. I was publicly schooled. That explains a lot. But hey, it's okay. <laughs> Went to the school that I'm standing in. Choked on a hot dog, right up. Anyway, I really did. I was like, oh, fourth grade. Right? Repentance of attitudes and actions toward other part of town. This is one we need to repent of. Last year, or about a year and a half ago, my wife and I moved to Columbia County. Oh my goodness. I lived in Richmond County for 34 years. Moved to Columbia County. Jeremy Carr. out comfort seeker, I've heard it all. Nope. Seen a lot of gospel fruit on our street. In one of the fastest growing counties. And the state just saying we need to repent of our attitudes toward um, I don't know you just name it I guess just think I mean these are just things I've experienced these are things in my heart too right um, got a lot of here's one for me just to, just to make it fair because I'm like making fun a little bit um, one that I've had to have a pastor walk me through a pastor friend of mine just say, Jeremy let me walk you through this um, received a ton of criticism last year tons, blogged, written, just mean about Jeremy and his wife. I had to repent of my attitude toward the author. And I had to have a pastor say, Jeremy, come here for a second. Uh, That's wrong, that's sin, but the greatest risk for your heart is that you would despise that author who is a child of God. So, Jeremy, we, I'm going to walk you through this so that you can love and you, too, can repent and believe the gospel just as much as that person is going to repent and believe the gospel. Are you with me? I just want to be fair with you because I don't want to sound high and mighty. No, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a mess. Um, but by God's grace and with the help of the Holy Spirit, every day when I wake up and I, I want to run to my sin and rebellion and say, man, urgh, punk rock, And by God's grace, he pulls me back. He says, don't go that way, Jeremy. Like, you're right. That's evil. I'm going to go this way. Look at me. I'm going to... And God's like, nope. Let me rein you back in. I mean, don't run to your sin and rebellion, but Jeremy, don't run to your idols and functional saviors. Jeremy, come here. Run to me. And here's the only way you can do it. Look at what Jesus did for you. That perfect life you can live, you can't live that, but Jesus did it for you. That death you should die for your sin... Jesus did that for you. The good news that you're supposed to proclaim, but sometimes you don't because you're a coward. Jesus did it. That time you're called to love and to serve, but you just don't feel like it. Jesus did that for you, on your behalf. Now, get in the game, son. I feel like that's what God. God's Father's Day. God's a loving Father. He's like get in the game, son. Um. So forgive me if I got off track. I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to share with you that I too am just a, a wounded, broken sheep, just like all of us. And uh, I'm just as much in need of a Savior as you are, just as much as uh, the guys at 401 Walton Way, just as much as, uh, you know, whoever. <laughs> we all need the gospel. And uh, that's what I want for you today. That's what I want for us. I want us to repent personally in our lives, I want us to repent corporately as a church, I want us to repent in missional communities. Uh, and that just means turning to Jesus and pointing each other to Jesus That's why we exist. Right? We're like, hey, I want to. Uh, as God points me to Jesus, I want to point you to Jesus. And if I mess up, I want you to point me to Jesus too. Because sometimes uh, I don't see clearly. And I, it, you know, many of you in this room have been friends to me. So Jeremy, come here for a second. I'm going to point you to Jesus. Oh, thank you. That's what it's all about. I love it. Uh, there's a pastor and author named Joe Thorne. Um, who came and actually spoke at our church about a year and a half ago and he wrote a book called Note to Self, which is a great book and there's a chapter on repentance and he says this, the deepness and consistency of your repenting will have a direct impact on the liveliness of your faith and the brightness of your confidence. This is not because you repent so well, but because in repenting, you know the darkness and trouble of your own sin and the great work of grace in Jesus that overcomes it all. So in closing, I want to ask you to imagine the impact. This is my charge for you, and then I'm done. Um, men, I want you to be uh, the lead repenters in your life. Fellas, I want you to be the lead repenter in your marriage, if you're married. If you have children, fathers, I want you to be the lead repenter in your family. Likewise, ladies, I want you to be the lead repenter in your relationships. If you're married, be the be a lead repenter. Like follow your husband if as he repents, but if he's like being stubborn, man, you repent. That just means turn to Jesus. That's what's so cool. It's like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, maybe you didn't, but you know what? Repent anyway. That just means turn to Jesus. You can be totally not in the wrong, but if you turn to Jesus first, that's repentance, and it's awesome. So I'm going to encourage you all in this room to be the lead repenter in your marriage and your family. I want to uh, charge you by God's grace to be the lead repenter in your missional community, to be the lead repenter in this church, to be the lead repenter in your job, in your school, be the lead repenter in your neighborhood. Just can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine the impact of the gospel in this church if we did that? Can you imagine the rippling effect of the gospel in this city if when people saw Redemption Church and didn't think, well, that's such a cool hip this, or that's this, or what the, if they just said, that's a group of people that constantly run from sin, constantly run from idols, and they constantly run toward God through Christ, and they tell everybody the same thing, and they just grab each other when they fall, and they say, man, you messed up, but let me pick you up and point you to Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine the impact that would have on your life personally, on your marriage, on your family, on this church, and in the city? Just, just think about that. Let me pray. God, thank you that you were a good, kind, gracious, slow-to-anger God. God, even as I stand here, I need to repent of my heart. My heart that's been wounded and wants to run to the idols of approval. God, I confess that sin and brokenness, and Lord, I pray that you keep my eyes on Jesus. God, I pray that my life would be one of ongoing belief and repentance, that I would be the lead repenter of my marriage and family, running from sin and rebellion, running from idols and saviors, and running to you, God, through Jesus. God, I pray if that's the case that you would be glorified and that there would be much joy and that others would see your goodness. God, I pray for uh, my friends and family, church family in this room. God, you are so good to us and Lord, I pray that nothing that is said or done would ever distract us from you lest we just put other idols and saviors in the way. So God, I pray that You would destroy all of our functional saviors and idols so that we can see you more clearly through Jesus. God, I pray for the men in this room that you would give them conviction and empowerment by your Holy Spirit to believe the promises of God, to trust you, Jesus, as Savior, and to be empowered to live lives of ongoing repentance, that they would be the lead repenters of their marriages and families. Gotta pray for the ladies in this room that they too would be empowered to be the lead repenters that when their husbands struggle and fall that they would be the first to look to Jesus and to grab their husband by the hand and say, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. God, convict us of sin. May we not rest until we uh, have dealt with our sin by running to the cross. And Jesus, uh, destroy our idols. God, I pray that in everything, we would be a church. When people look, they don't see anything other than a group of people that are experiencing the gracious, slow-to-anger, kindness, love from God the Father through Jesus. And Lord, I pray that that good news would cause us to believe and to repent that our attitudes, our affections, and our actions personally and as a community would reflect you for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Jesus would ripple from this church to the city, to the state, to the nation, to the world beyond. We beg you to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.